If somebody says, what can I do to help, give them a job. It doesn't have to be directly related to the caregiving issues. If you get them to take something off your plate, that is taking care of yourself. Hi, I'm Bobby. I was a longtime family caregiver. I'm now a certified caregiving consultant, a certified caregiving educator, and I've written two books for caregivers. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist, and I have not written any books on caregiving. (laughs) (laughs) And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer some practical insights, and share some emotional support. And maybe we might even share a laugh or two. We all know laughter is the best medicine. In our 32 years together, you give me plenty of opportunities to laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mentioned right at the start that I was a long-term caregiver, and you like to call yourself the caregiver's caregiver. Um, And during that time, we each had some feelings of dementia and guilt. Um, You know, I thought there were moments when I thought you had it pretty easy because you got to go out to work and actually associate with with normal people and go to lunch and socialize. Wait wait a second. Taking care of your dad. Wait a second. I worked for the Department of Defense. I worked for the federal government. How could you say I worked with normal people? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's another issue. (laughs) Uh, True. And while you were at home feeling resentment because I was able to go out, I was, in fact, feeling guilty because you were here at home with my father. And I felt guilty that I wasn't taking the lion's share of, of caregiving for my dad. But one of us had to do the pesky day job, and fortunately, you were able to stay home. Sometimes people have to make the choice to not keep somebody at home, and that's, that's an okay choice to make. And a number of people thought, you know, since he was my father-in-law, it was extraordinary for me to do what I did. But to me, family comes to us in many different ways, and family takes care of family. Um, But that brings us to today's guest. She has over 25 years experience as a licensed clinical social worker, psychotherapist. She is also an author and speaker that is best known for her powerful life-changing program for caregivers, Take Back Your Life, The Importance of Self-Care. Her latest book is especially for caregivers, Take Back Your Life, The Caregiver's Guide to Finding Freedom in the Midst of Overwhelm. We are very pleased to welcome Lauren Gelberg-Goff. Good afternoon, Lauren. Good afternoon. I'm so glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. Self-care is such an important issue for caregivers, and it has to go beyond what so many well-meaning people is make sure you take care of yourself first. You know, you have to put your oxygen mask on before you help anybody when the plane is going down. Um, but having been in that position for seven years and, you know, hearing, you know, you got to take care of yourself first when you are in the trenches, so to speak, and you're isolated. Yes, it is super important to take care of yourself, but taking care of yourself looks very different for caregivers than it does to those well many people who think, you know, going out to get your hair done or, you know, getting a pedicure is going to make things better. 
So Lauren, please uh, share your insights about self-care with us and your listeners. I know it's going to be so important for so many people. Well, you're raising some really valid points of concern that all too, all too often <clears throat> caregivers think, feel, and believe that if I'm taking care of myself, I'm not taking care of my loved one. And we live in this either or kind of world. And so the first step to being able to even think about self-care is to shift that one word or to end. Because we can Uh do both. Just as what you said earlier on, when you're flying in a plane and oxygen is required, it isn't about if I put oxygen on me, I'm not taking care of my loved one. It's there has to be balance. If I'm not putting oxygen on myself, I will not be able to care for anyone. And it's 30,000 feet if oxygen is required. If you don't put that oxygen mask on your face first, you will pass out and then you're really no good. So down here on earth, it's (laughs) recognizing that there is room for self-care. Even if we have to start with baby steps of five minutes. Exactly. Maybe we can't take a day to spend the day in a spa, but that may be a goal. It might be a weekend off. And that might be a long-term goal, but we have to start. If we can't do the baby steps, we won't do the big steps. Uh So we have to start somewhere. And everybody has the thing that bugs them the most. People have said, my mother calls me 20 times a day, or I'm constantly being asked to run errands or I'm being called into the room for these little things. Uh, I need more water. I need uh, the TV channel changed. We can be called in for little things. And are you willing to delay your response by even a minute? Can we start there? Well, it's interesting because one of the things that, uh, and one of the, the traps that Bobby got into was, take any time for herself, even with me taking care of my dad, um, she couldn't really fully let go uh, because there was that feeling or the perception that she, by spending all the time with him that she did, she knew better than anybody what his symptoms were, how to read him. And so she uh, fell into that trap. And I suspect a lot of people fall into that trap like she did. Correct. Yes. We begin, we begin to think that we're, we're the ones that know best. And if, we, if we're not there being hypervigilant, disaster is going to strike. Because most caregivers start out, we know we have to be in charge, in control, handle everything. Mm-hmm. And we're not comfortable turning over the reins for even a little while. So we leave instructions and then we wonder and make calls. And for anybody who's 
had a baby and you're the mom or the dad and you're the one who's in charge and the first time you let a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or a babysitter babysit, what do you go through? So Yeah, exactly. And 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 with Mike's dad, routine was critical. It it helped him feel comfortable, but it also helped me manage through the day. And say for an example, you know, Mike said, you need to go out, you need to take some time for yourself. And then I would say, for instance, I came home and he had slept through one of his medications that was supposed to be given at a certain time. And while that may not have made a huge difference in his care, it made a difference in his response to me. Well, Mike didn't make me. Hmm. And since I was the one that was there all the time, the last thing I wanted to hear was Mike didn't make me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what, where, where are those boundaries? What's important? <laughs> yeah. How many times did anybody who's raised children say, well, daddy didn't make me do it. Right. Uh, and, and when we're dealing with different levels of dementia, for sure, we don't know what the triggers will be for that childlike behavior, that internal rebellion. How much do they really understand? How much is manipulation? And we get sucked into the drama of the moment. So, you know, one of the big things people who know me know, there are two big things that can make it help make a difference. And the first one is a question you have to ask and answer. What's my desired outcome? And a desired outcome has to fulfill two requirements. Number one, it has to be what you want, not what you don't want. And number two, it has to be something over which you yourself have control. And the second piece that's so critical is being able to breathe. We tend to react like, oh, my God, he didn't get the medication and it may not be a critical medication. And we can talk ourselves through, OK, we can justify, rationalize. We can go through all that. What's the desired outcome? We get annoyed, we get frustrated, we get resentful because it didn't go the way we've been doing it, the way we needed it to be done. Caregivers learn by doing their jobs. We have to be in control. And we don't like to give up that control, at least not um, consciously. We may all think, yeah, I would love somebody to come in and take care of mom, dad, my husband, my children. We'd love that. But what does it feel like to give up that control? And then to be given a message like, well, he didn't make me do it. I don't have to. You know, and I think in that situation, my desired outcome would have been, would be, and I hadn't thought about it in those terms, was for Mike to understand the balance that it took to do what I did and to respect the process. Okay. So right there, here's where the shift in communication happens. I can, you can communicate to Mike, here's what's important. 
And Mike would have to have the desired outcome of, I want to understand, I want to be able to manage things to the best of my ability. You don't have control over whether Mike will or will not understand and respect and follow. That's on him. And that's the piece most people get caught up in. Well, I want them to just do it this way. Well, we don't have control over that. All we ultimately have control over is our ability to communicate its importance. I always follow instructions. (laughs) (laughs) I say yes, dear, and then I follow the instructions. No, you say yes, dear, and do whatever the hell you want. (laughs) And and when we're giving up the reins of control, we have to then say, okay, my desired outcome is to trust that the best possible outcome will be. And my desired outcome is now to step away and relax, whether it's for an hour, for a minute, for a day, for a a weekend, that we have control over. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference. And that's an important piece of what boundary we can set. Because once we know, okay, I'm handing the reins to someone else, I have to be able to let go. We do, we have kind of had a process like that throughout the 32 years that we've been married. Uh, You know, a a lot of people say, I want you to do a chore and they start to do it and then you correct them, you need to do it my way. And one of the things that we decided early, very early on in our marriage is if it's important to you that it be done a certain way, you do it. And nobody else can step in and say you're doing it right or wrong. And we have certain strengths um, and his strengths are different than mine and mine are different than his. In that situation, we're okay. We embrace it. We embrace it. But when it came to the caregiving, I think the consequences of it not being is structured and see, even though I'm having trouble letting go and his father passed away several years ago, it was important to me that that schedule be maintained. Um, and I didn't communicate that, I don't think. And I also have to ask Mike at this point, if you don't mind, Lauren, what your desired outcome was in letting that slide. I don't know that I consciously had a desired outcome in the manner that we're speaking right now. I, I certainly didn't think of it on that level. Um, to me, it was going uh, kind of, you don't wake the sleeping baby type of thing. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Uh, so uh, I guess it, for lack of having a desired outcome, I will say that was my motivation as opposed okay. to a desired outcome was don't wake the sleeping baby. Um, especially since I wasn't as, um, uh, as robust as you were with his caregiving and his, his oversight. So I let the sleeping, sleeping dad lie. <laughs> <laughs> now, Lauren, I do have to tell you um, one of the things that I like to teach people in the workshops that I do. And, and when I talk to them in a caregiver support group is we have a tendency to, if somebody says 
how can I help? And as a caregiver, when you have that control issue, you you know, thank you for the offer, but you know, you're not sure what to do. I always tell people now, if somebody says, what can I do to help that you give them a job? Absolutely. And it could be as simple as, you know, bringing a casserole by once a month or when you go to the grocery store, give me a call and maybe you can pick something up for me. It doesn't have to be directly related to the caregiving issues. If you get them to take something off your plate, that is taking care of yourself. A hundred percent. And you always say, you know, something as simple as, hey, can you take my car and get it inspected? Right, or cut the grass. Cut the grass. And so one of the hardest things, though, for people who who are caregivers is to receive help. Mm -hmm. Because all too often we perceive needing help as being weak. So one of the images that I ask people to do in a situation like you're describing, you know, can you mow my lawn? Can you pick up a quart of milk? Whatever it might be. If we see ourselves as in an energetic way, we take things in on our left side and we give out on our right. So if you're in a position where you're giving love and compassion and time and energy and everything else that goes with being a caregiver. And you just, you put your right hand out and you sort of see all that going out there to the people or person you love. And you go, what am I taking in? Open up your left hand and think about what you're taking in. And very often people will say, well, it's stress and aggravation and exhaustion and frustration and I feel angry and resentful and frustrated. So you think about all that going in and you're giving out all this love and compassion. What are you left with inside? The anxiety. (laughs) With the stress and the anxiety and yeah. Right. And people say all the time, caregivers say all the time when you ask them, how are you? They say, I'm fine. Yep. So I say, okay, do you know what fine really means? Frustrated or frazzled, irritated, neurotic, and exhausted. I'm fine. <laughs> Would you get that? What was the I? Frustrated? Irritated. Irritated. Okay. And see, that's another thing. We're on the same wavelength because I tell people, if somebody asks you, do not say you are fine. You are not fine. You can tell them that you are exhausted, that you're lonely, that you're frustrated, that you're scared. So now if they want to say they're fine, you can tell them that's what it really means. So, so asking for help, we have to shift our belief system that it isn't a sign of weakness or ineptitude or because we all believe we should be able to do it all. And I've been in that position, which is part of why my learning curve came not only from my professional experience over the years working in hospitals and hospices and clinics for multiply handicapped children, but when my husband became disabled in 1997, 
it was, I, I said, I can do it. I'm not going to be impacted the way other caregivers are, the way other families are. But I just kept taking on more and more because I had two young children. Um, my husband really couldn't do much of anything. So I just kept on going and going and going until it like hits you like a ton of bricks. Being able to say no to something, being able to say when somebody says, well, what do you need? Because caregivers generally look pretty damn competent and capable and they got it all together. So nobody thinks you re- they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So, and you know what, uh, there's something I got really tired of hearing was, oh, you must be a saint. Mm-hmm. And I would tell them, I'm no saint, and my father-in-law would have been the first one to agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> or they, you, but see, caregivers, especially early on, get a lot of praise and recognition for what they're doing. And in, in a crisis, we can all rise up and be there when my husband needed to be hospitalized or when he was having procedures or my parents were in and out of the hospital for a while. Everybody can show up in the moment of acute need and we get praise. Oh my God, you were so amazing. Oh my God, you did such a great job. You are such a saint. You are wonderful. And early on, we can take that in and it can feel really good. And that's part of the the draw to keep going until you wake up one day and you go, oh, my God, what have I gotten myself into? Then you feel guilty for thinking that. And people may be very well intentioned in in the early in the early days when they when they say to you, if you need help, please let me know. But once somebody steps in to do it. They become allowed to do it, and people just get busy with their everyday lives. Mm-hmm. And they, they, and then again, what you said. Uh, as long as it's being taken care of, there's no need for them to help. Right. Absolutely. Now, Lauren, you have uh, 11 strategies. Would you like to speak about that? If we're talking about the step-by-step guide to take steps toward getting your desired outcome, the first thing any person has to be aware of is that something is missing. They need something. We have to change something. And that's the step we have to be willing to start with. And our desire for something different has to be stronger than our fear or our uncertainty or our doubt that we're allowed to have it. Because caregivers have reached a places in their lives where their needs don't matter. It's everybody else's that does. And women, not to sell them, the increasing number of male caregivers, family caregivers that are coming through, but women tend to have a much harder time expressing what they want or need. So that's a big part. That's the first step. We have to acknowledge that we want something different. And once we do that, then we get to look at what our options are, what we want, what we need, and not look at any obstacles. You know, as they say, there's a solution for every problem, or we're in the space of there's a problem for every solution. Hmm. 
Interesting. You know, you, you, you brought up about a, a lot more male caregivers. Um, and I've spoken um, about male caregivers. And I've actually been on a radio show in Chicago uh, talking about being a male caregiver. And it goes back to something else you said, that with men, you know, men are fixers. We fix stuff. Mm -hmm. And when we can't fix the person with dementia, it's like we're failing. And so um, it, it creates a, a, a dynamic of I can't fix it. And so therefore I'm failing. And then a lot of males uh, tend to be risk avoiders and they hire somebody to do it. Well, I think men used, are used to using tools and they see these other people, like you said, they hire people to do it. They look to the people who know best to do it, whereas women, as she said, have a tendency to try to do it all. Right. right. So we want to look at what our awareness is because that's always step one. We are aware we're uncomfortable or in pain or hurting and we some unfortunately too often wait until it's a crisis for us before we do anything that's different. Right. So we know that we are in, and I'm putting using air quotes to say we are in pain. Something is wrong mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. It can be on any or all of those levels. And so we know we have to do something different. Doing something different causes pain, a different kind of pain. We're going to be uncomfortable if we keep doing what we're doing. We're going to be uncomfortable if we do something that's different. We now are in a position to decide which discomfort we are going to live with. And once we make that conscious decision, we can look at what our options are. We can have a desired outcome. I need a day off. I need an hour off. I need somebody to go get my groceries. And certainly today, living with the COVID virus running through our country, more and more people are getting used to ordering groceries online, people doing favors for each other. So that's become something that people can start with. Somebody's putting in an order for groceries doesn't feel as much of an imposition to ask, can you add, a, you know, can you add milk and juice and eggs to your order? Um, we look at our options. Because right now, how many caregivers are saying their, their home health aides aren't coming to the house anymore? Or they've limited who, who they will allow in. Or family members are not coming by anymore. So there is definitely more of an internal burden. So what are my options if I'm really... Uh, Lauren, before, before you move off on that, I like to just mention that some in some circumstances family members who are normally not in the house are now in the house and the caregiver may feel that he or she has to take care of all of those other people in addition rather than setting those other people to work to <laughs> take the, over some of the daily chores and then we get into who's doing what and I've had people talk to me about not only are they working from home, they're still 
providing care. Now there are other people, you're right, living at, being at home. And how are we all getting along? And what are the additional pressures? And who am I talking to? Where am I venting any of these new stresses that we need support and compassion? And where am I getting it from? So with all of your 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 wisdom and your experience, is there one or two things that go to the top of the priority list when it comes to um, strategies for dealing with all of this? Well, number one, who's in your inner circle? Who do you turn to when you want support, validation? Do you have one best friend? Do you have um, a clergy? person you turn to, we have to start looking at maybe even outside the box, who's in your inner circle. And it might be um, somebody who runs the home care agency that you were using. It might be a relative who lives across the country. Who do you talk to? Mm -hmm. And if you don't have someone who you talk to right now, there are a lot of online counseling services providing talk therapy, providing video therapy. That Are you willing to reach out? Because that's number one. Who do we have? Some people tell me the only support they have is their, is their dog. And so they make sure they're taking walks with their dog more often. That they are, that's what gives them permission to leave the house for 10 minutes because they have to take care of the dog. So mm -hmm. we all have someone or something that helps. Sometimes it is prayer. You're absolutely right. I spent I spent a lot of time praying, a lot of time crying, good bit of time having a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, there's a, a total wine and more store near where I live. That parking lot is always packed. Other stores <laughs> are closed. That store, it never is an empty parking lot. It's amazing. Well, it's healthy so, because it's fruit, right? It's fruit. <laughs> it's food. It's one of the seven food groups. So. That's right. <laughs> Mike, you can, sh you can share a story about uh, wine and your dad and me. <laughs> so I came home from work one day and the garage is right off the kitchen. So as I stepped into the kitchen from the garage, I didn't even have the door shut. And my dad turned and he looked at me and he says, you don't know what she does when you're not here. And I guess it had been a particularly difficult day and trying day for Bobby. And I said, oh, what do you mean? He says, and she was sitting there with a glass of wine. He says, look at her. She sits there. She drinks. She's a drunk. No wonder her first husband left her. She's a drunk. And I looked at him and I said, I think she drinks because you drive her to drink. As a matter of fact, I think I'm going to have some wine too. And I took a sip from her glass and he looked at me and he shook his head. He says, see, she controls you. <laughs> oh, no. uh, and, and, you know, at the time, I, 
I didn't take it as well as I am now, but that's probably one of our favorite stories about his dad being with us. Right. Well, Lauren, um, it's, it's been a joy talking to you. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. And I know you asked about the, the steps and people can access the step-by-step guide at um, takebackyourlifeguide.com and get the guide, get the audio to walk you through the steps that we can take to make a change that really allows you to, in some way, shape, or form, take back your life. And it can happen in small steps. Yeah. Well, I was just going to mention that we were going to put that a link to that up on the Roger That page and also a link back to your uh, Facebook page, as well as your caregiver strategies. Awesome. But I really want to thank you. You've, you've been an absolute delight to have on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lauren. My pleasure. I think one of my first takeaways from this is take baby steps to get to the big steps. Yes. I mentioned in a previous podcast, needlepoint that your mother had in her house. Inch by inch, mm-hmm. it's a cinch. Yard by yard, it's really hard. So yes, um, take, exactly. take the baby steps where you can get them, absolutely. Before we end this episode, um, I'd like to address a question that we got. And the question was, does anyone else think the person that they are caring for is faking just to get attention? That's such an excellent question and one that comes up quite often. And it it definitely can seem like that, especially in the early and moderate stages of dementia. Um, That's when behavior can be off the wall one moment and seemingly normal the next. And a lot of times it happens when there's a visitor in the house or something like that, uh, where they manage to pull themselves together and seem perfectly normal that leaves your visitors thinking, maybe you're the one that's faking it. Maybe you're the one that's trying to get attention. But it's simply the way that the, the brain works in, in dementia. And those connections are working sometimes and not working so well the next. So it's not at all unusual for you to see huge variations in the, the ability to remember and understand in the early stages. But it's really important to know that this is this is a dreadful brain disease. The brain controls everything. They are not faking. They are not making it up. And it's up to us to adapt our behavior to them. You can find more information about Lauren and the Take Back Your Life resources at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That, and I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show go to iTunes and post a review. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us or where Bobby will be speaking next, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. You can find out more about HCA on our website or go to hearingcharities.org. 
Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content.